Welcome to another program of Heart and Soul, playing the music of the church throughout the ages, from ancient modern hymns to songs of praise and worship from the early days to the songs of today. Heart and Soul comes to you each week with a Bible message also to encourage and challenge you. Now, here is your host for today's program, Carla Evans. Hello again and welcome to another hour of music and the word on Heart and Soul. We have a feature examining more closely a hymn later and David will share another word for you today. Let's commence with a songs of praise rendition of the great hymn, I Stand Amazed in the Presence.
Oh, Praise Ye the Lord, featuring the Harvard University Choir on Heart and Soul. Now, let's hear Jim Hamley and his group with Come Let Us Sing to the Lord. and soul.
then with a medley of majesty and all hail the power. This is Heart and Soul with Carla Evans. Ahead we have our feature hymn and more music. This is Heart and Soul, the music of the church throughout the ages. Some of the most brilliant hymns have come from the pen of not very notable composers. Today's hymn was composed by Samuel Johnson, M.A., who was born at Salem, Massachusetts on October 10, 1822 and educated at Harvard, where he graduated in arts in 1842 and in theology in 1846. In 1853, he formed a free church in Lynn, Massachusetts, and remained its pastor to 1870. Although never directly connected with any religious denomination, he was mainly associated in the public mind with the Unitarians. This hymn looked to the city of God above and describes its characteristics. Johnson died at North Andover, Massachusetts, February the 19th, 1882. There is a list of 15 hymns attributed to him, but City of God seems to be the most notable. 
Today it is sung by the Truro Cathedral Choir. Daniel O'Donnell with the song Be Not Afraid. You shall cross the barren desert, but you shall not die of thirst. You shall wander far in safety, though you do not know the way you shall speak your words in foreign lands and all will understand you shall see the face of God I go before you. 
next we have today's word and more music. This is Heart and Soul, the music of the church throughout the ages. Now we introduce today's message from David Evans. Thank you, David. 
This is David Evans. I want to speak to you today about how Jesus sees greatness. We're all born with an inner desire to succeed, to be fruitful, and to be great in a humble sort of way. Actually, one of the two instructions by the Lord to Adam and Eve was to be fruitful, to be successful. If we were to sum up the promises of Yahweh to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, they were geared to Israel becoming a successful nation and prospering. In Psalm 1, the godly man is contrasted with the ungodly, and the third verse of that psalm sums up the fortunes of the godly person very well. Psalm 1.3 And he, the godly, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does will prosper. Whereas the ungodly person's end is summed up in the last verse of that psalm. Psalm 1.6 For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish. Micah chapter 5 verse 4, speaking prophetically of Jesus, the one who was to be born in Bethlehem, says that he would be great under the ends of the earth. The words great and greater are used constantly to describe how far superior the latter house will be over the former house. Of John the Baptist, it was prophesied that he would be great in the eyes of the Lord. And when the angel Gabriel told Mary she would give birth to Jesus, he used this word, He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. The Bible liberally uses the three degrees of great throughout. We have great, then we have greater, and finally we see the word in its superlative degree, greatest. Here are some more facts. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for great is gadal, and it appears 397 times. Greater, 19 times, and greatest, 9 times. The Hebrew word is also translated elder, 8 times, eldest, 9 times. Remarkably, it's also translated as loud. Does that mean that we elderly are marked by our loudness, or is it just that we want to be heard? Take a note here that the word has more to do with who we are than what we might have achieved, whereas the world measures greatness by achievement. Remember that for our comments later. Please note that great and greater are words used to describe two wonders of creation in Genesis 1.6. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Notice by contrast the word lesser applied to the moon. Later, the creation story speaks of the great whales and great cities. In the New Testament, we have the Greek word polis used 59 times and it's also translated hundreds of other times by other English words like many and much. So many equate greatness with high position. In our truly humble opinion, we would not likely say we were as great as some champion who occupies a prominent seat in the order of things. We sometimes stand in awe of those who have achieved much quality things until we realize that the Lord does not see how man sees. It was expected that Saul's successor as king of Israel would be one or other of the strapping sons of Jesse. In fact, if Samuel hadn't asked Jesse if he had any more sons after all the big brothers of David had paraded themselves before him for selection, no one probably would have thought of the boy shepherd out there minding the sheep. In terms of appearance, he wasn't considered great. But greatness is not born in physical appearance or age. God sees it as being born in the heart. Samuel's words are forever true. The Lord does not see as man sees. 
for God looks not on the outward appearance, but on the heart. And David, for all his later faults, was described by God as a man after his heart. We often exclude ourselves from considering we are great because we allow Satan to point out our weaknesses or the sin that does so easily beset us. The works-orientated church has so often excluded those it considered inferior because they did not have a good outward appearance. And I'm not speaking of physical appearance necessarily. The big names of this world are prominent often because of the so-called greatness that is thrust upon them. God's view of greatness is far different from man's. How then did Jesus view greatness? Firstly, there's the story of the exhibition of great faith found in Matthew 8. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home because you believed it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. Now, one would have expected that the greatest faith would have been found in the covenant people, but note the remarkable assessment of where the greatest faith Jesus had ever seen lay. He said, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Jesus' assessment of where greatness lay is further explained when dealing with the issue of John the Baptist. In Matthew 11, John queries whether Jesus was, after all, the one expected, or should they be seeking for another? Jesus sent a message to John in prison about what was being accomplished for the kingdom of heaven, and he then spoke about John. What kind of man did you go out in the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. Now watch the next verse. In verse 11, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. When I thought about these words, I was so impressed by how the Lord saw me and you, if indeed I was the least person in the kingdom of heaven. First of all, John is described by Jesus as the greatest of all the long line of Old Testament prophets. Think of them, Moses, Samuel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, the great duo of Elijah and Elisha. And what about the great Daniel? When I think of them, I stand in awe of them especially since they operated under the Old Covenant and knew nothing of the great themes of grace given to the Apostle Paul. In fact, I found I stood in awe of great leaders of the church down through the centuries because of their achievements. 
Jesus puts John the Baptist at the top of the great tree of Old Testament prophets up to the time of John. That's the first thing. The second thing is even more remarkable and as staggered as the dimension of what Jesus said next sunk in. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, John, is. The Greek word greater in Matthew 11.11 is the same word, mazon, Jesus used when he said that he was greater than the temple as he stood in the temple. The least is the greater. Whatever you have ever considered yourself to be, and most people do not see themselves as great at all, Jesus said, if you are in the kingdom, you are greater than the greatest of all the old covenant prophets. None of this earning sainthood through good works, but simply by faith. And when we consider that even in the Old Testament, God saw our righteousnesses as filthy rags. David Pawson said that the Hebrew for filthy rags actually means used menstrual cloths. As commendable as your good achievements are in the sight of men, they do not make your greatness in God. It is your faith that justifies and sanctifies. And if you use your understanding of your greatness as a starting point for living, you must end up living successfully. But there's one more thing about greatness. Jesus himself is the example. Though he were rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. And we know that the Creator is always greater than his creation. That's why in Romans 1, God is miffed because the lesser prefers to worship the lesser rather than the greater. You can read the reason for the wrath of God revealed from heaven is because man worships the creation more than the Creator. Jesus always held his Father to be greater than he was, and for that God exalted him and gave him a name above every name. Well, here's the rub. Jesus said to his disciples, Let the greatest among you be the servant of all, for whoever makes himself great shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be made great. It is far better to be considered great by the Lord, but that greatness is fully expressed in humility and the fear of the Lord. He will exalt you, he'll exalt us all in due time, when we appear with him in glory. Hallelujah and praise his name.
his orchestra and chorus with the hymn, Now Thank We All Our God. Our final segment coming up next. On Heart and Soul, the Oslo Gospel Choir bring us the song, Now Is a Time to Worship.
was Tom Fetke and his orchestra and chorus. You're with Carla Evans today on Heart and Soul. Now the song, Change My Heart, O God.
program let's hear Kevin Jernigan with his own composition Baptize Me
That's it for today. Our speaker was David Evans, and I'm Carla Evans, who's been your host. God bless you all. If you've been blessed by heart and soul, why not drop us a line? Our email address is heartandsoulmusic at bigpond.com. We have a website. It's heartandsoul.org.au. Or you might like to write to this radio station in appreciation for them bringing us to you. Heart and Soul is an Australian program 